I love working on my house. Now, I'm about a 7 or 8 out of 10 on the handiness scale, and I enjoy building and fixing things, but when I see someone who's really gifted, a talented carpenter and an experienced electrician, I realize we're not even practicing in the same universe. However, they often have a significant advantage. As professionals in the home trades, they've accumulated a set of tools that are designed to help them accomplish their jobs. For instance, I was trying to install some crown molding in my basement, but doing so with just hand tools. Even with good aim and practice, a hammer and nail are no match for a nail gun. The right tool can make a tricky job much easier. And today on the Disciple Science Podcast, we'll approach natural theology and ask if our difficulty in seeing God and nature is rooted in using the wrong tools. Hello and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm Dale Gentry, and for the past few weeks we've been exploring natural theology in the sense that there is some resonance between our experience of nature and our understanding of God, and that there may be theological messages hidden or embedded like Easter eggs in the natural world which we can experience. Now, among the biggest hurdles to this idea is that those messages aren't plain to be seen. What's ironic is that the Apostle Paul tells us that they are. In Romans 1.20, Paul says that what can be known about God is plain to be seen because it can be experienced through what has been made. But if I'm honest, it isn't plain to me, and I don't think it's plain to many of us. If it was, we wouldn't be probably having this discussion today. There would be many more resources available to help us understand it, and people would talk about it. Sermons would be preached on it every Sunday. So Paul says it's plain, but I, and I don't think many of us think that it is. So where's the disconnect? The challenge is our modern approach to theology and to the understanding of the Bible and to the understanding of nature. There's a lineage of metaphor in historical theology. God is, in essence, altogether unknowable. We can't define God or understand God using our words or in art. But what we can do is put together a collection of metaphors that help us better conceive of who God is. And it's for this reason that God lowers himself to the level of our weak comprehension and presents himself through images in scripture, in in metaphors. So Paul says it's plain, but we don't think it's obvious at all. Well, where's the disconnect? The issue at hand is how do we understand God? Because God is inherently unknowable, or at least not fully knowable. God is somehow a mysterious Um, being that is lacking a physical state or structure is some sort of eternal consciousness that has always been and has always and always will be but at the same time is represented in in human forms frequently and we're told even in scripture that the closest understanding we can have of God is to look at the person of Jesus and so 
We can't fully understand God, but we can seek to. We often miss the mark, but we're working to get a fuller picture of who God is. And the authors of Scripture helped us along in that process by filling our minds with these wonderful metaphors that say, God is like a shepherd, or God is like a father, or God is like a rock, or God is light, or God is a mother hen, or God is a potter, or God is fire, or God is water, or God is a king, and it goes on and on, right? So we are given dozens of metaphors through the Old and New Testaments to help us conceive of God. So we're comfortable with the idea that if we want to even try to wrap our minds around our Creator, we must engage our um, imagination to uh, blend that with our whole body and our logical mind so that we can use the metaphors in the, bo- in, our, in the scripture to make more sense of God beyond what our materialistic view of reality can access. That's great. What's the problem? Well, at issue here is the fact that I think we are terrible at using our imaginations. We're bad at um, inviting our imaginations into our adult thinking. We love to encourage our children to use their imaginations. I've got uh, young kids in grade school and preschool, and we delight in seeing them use imaginative play to um, conceive of their world in a different way. And I hope that by using their imaginations in the future, they will better be able to integrate ideas and knowledge from different areas of thought, and that they'll be able to see themselves in the future and understand how they can be used to um, put their spiritual gifts to to work, and that they can um, hopefully think about God in the way that I'm trying to, right? So we, uh, we encourage our children to use imagination, but when we grow into adulthood, we think it's time to put the childish things behind, and now we're going to use reason and, and science and, and, and empiricism. And this is an unfortunate uh, consequence of the Enlightenment. I don't want to spend hours going through it, but the Enlightenment was this period two to three hundred years ago in which many of the, um, the drivers of this mo- movement wanted to distance our society from um, imagination, from what they thought was superstition, from religion in many ways, and they said, let's use science and reason to make meaning of things. And therefore, our post-enlightenment brains have a stunted capacity to use imagination to understand God and the world. And many scholars um, believe that the field of systematic theology is starved of imagination, and in part because of its ties to the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment has worked to eliminate imagination as a legitimate way of seeking understanding. Now, as a scientist, this makes perfect sense to me. My graduate advisors never invited imaginative exploration of what it means that bird eggs were being eaten by predators, or how woodpeckers respond to forest fires, or how communities of organisms uh, exist in the winter. 
my job was to explain cause and effect and never to consider any transcendent meaning that might be derived from my ecological research. So as we seek meaning from the world, we do so primarily with science and reason. And unfortunately, when we go to scripture, we often do so with science and reason. And that's why we're so uh, focused on what's the literal interpretation of the scripture, because we think the literal is the best. Well, I should say some people think literal is the best, but we're now starting to see where that is failing us. So we use our imaginations every time we think about God. But why don't we use our imaginations when we think about God's creation? I think I actually have an answer to my own question. God obviously requires our imagination to be even partially understood. But nature doesn't seem to need that. Science can provide explanations for how the world and the cosmos are put together and how they function, and it doesn't seem to require further imagination to get a a grasp on. And I'm grateful that the explanations that science can provide, but where I find fault is in assuming that the explanations that science can provide are all the answers that are available that there's nothing more even worth exploring. We should use our imaginations to allow our understanding of natural objects to expand our understandings of God. Because science can't explain the meaning that many of us sense is there in nature. Now, there are probably many questions that arise from this line of thinking, but there's one specifically that I want to address because... It's the question that's more prominent in my mind, that if there is meaning that we should find in nature, meaning it's we should find it because God put it there and it's intended to be found, why isn't it made more stark and obvious? Why isn't it, like Paul said, plain to be seen? I have an approach to this. It's it's satisfactory to me. It probably won't be satisfactory to all of you. But it's rooted in the same approach that can be taken to the Bible. And this is a common complaint from those in atheist circles. If there is a God out there that wants to be known and wants to be loved, why didn't that God uh, write to us in a way that could be understood by all people in all times? Or why doesn't he continue to reveal himself through fresh modern writings that could be better understood by people in these newer cultures? Those are perhaps interesting and valid questions, but I I think that's a gross oversimplification to say that God wants everything to be simple. Does God want to be known and loved? Yes. Does God want everything to be simple? It doesn't appear to be that way. I think we need to make a distinction in that faith is simple. God requires of us trust, faith. But that's it, right? We're asked to have faith. We're not asked to have perfect understanding, right? Understanding is what we seek, what we want to have after we have faith. Once we come to know God and Jesus, many of us find ourselves dedicating our lives to pursuing understanding of of the Trinity and of 
what it mean, you know, what it means to follow Jesus and how we can live that out in our daily lives. So we're seeking understanding, but what is required is faith. And the understanding that underlies our journey of faith is sometimes portrayed in mysterious ways. And when we dig into scripture, we see the regular use of metaphors and Jesus teaching in parables and this crazy apocalyptic writing and Daniel and Revelation and some of the prophets and somewhat cryptic writing in Job and Jonah and parts of Genesis and Exodus and elsewhere in the Old Testament. Why, why did why did God inspire scripture to be written in a way that many people would find a little bit obtuse? Well, it turns out we're not the first person to ask that question. Or I shouldn't say not we're we are not the first group of individuals to ask that question. The disciples asked the same thing. They said, Jesus, why do you teach in parables? And in Matthew 13, Jesus said, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak in parables. Through seeing, they do not see. Through hearing, they do not hear or understand. While many of us might like it if God would occasionally just make things obvious and stark. There's something that I love about making things available, but not so obvious that they're simple. It invites us into pursuit of God. It invites us into uh, what we're asked to do in the first Psalm, right? Which is uh, read the word and meditate on it day and night. And we're invited to be constantly considering the way God is at work in our lives and in the world around us. And I think for some reason, if it was made too obvious, if it was made too um, simple, that it would prevent us from pursuing God with the fervor that we do, or that I think we should. Now, that's Again, that's my understanding, that's my approach, and how I've made peace with the mystery of the way the scripture was written, and maybe that's not satisfactory to everybody, but I think there's value in having something just a little bit mysterious. And the modern approach to scripture that emphasizes a literalistic interpretations and uh, the plain reading or the simple reading, I actually believe that's an outpouring of the suppression of imagination from the Enlightenment. They don't want to have to depend on on our intuition and our um, imagination. Let's just make it simple and stark and obvious. But as an adult in my mid-40s, mid-40s officially now, I just had a birthday and I'm 44, so that feels like mid-40s to me, and I've been exposed to the Bible my entire life, right? I'm one of those kids that probably went to church the week after I came home from the hospital. I'm just now, within the past 
few years coming to appreciate the nuances that are that abound in the Bible and the way the authors of the New Testament used the content of the Old Testament but sometimes spun it in a new way and the subtle and hidden connections between the way different people are portrayed and described and um, the way we are supposed to see the new and the old and better understand the old in light of the new and just how different this ancient literature may be from what I encounter uh, in a bookstore that I might walk through today. Um, so the Bible is, is written in, in a different language and in a different culture and in a different uh, approach than what I'm comfortable with. And yet there's something about that that is just marvelous, that invites me to um, dig into it and find new meaning every time that I, that I read it. And so this is, I think, large part why I now, Dale in my 44th year, am open to the idea of there being messages embedded in nature that are not obvious and stark that Dale, the 34-year-old, probably would have been deeply uncomfortable with. And that's because I now see how um, cryptic certain aspects of Scripture are. So uh, why not have a little bit of mystery in the theological message embedded in nature? And faith, again, can be simple. You don't have to hold a PhD to have it. Yet a willingness to study the Bible as literature and and pursue truth from it and allow your imagination to be part of that process can reveal new uh, insights that you wouldn't have encountered uh, that I certainly didn't encounter in my first years of just reading it and seeking the literal, simple interpretations. And in the same way, nature is quite simple and can be understood in plain ways uh, with time, we now think we have a good understanding of how matter is composed and how photosynthesis works and how the systems of the climate um, function. And yet, if you're willing to pursue the study of nature throughout your life, you will continue to unearth and um, understand things that are are more mysterious and that require um, a deeper appreciation than what, than, than for what is just on the surface. So Alistair McGrath then is advocating, and I'm joining him in advocating, uh, a, a, a willingness to invite imagination into our study of nature to seek understandings of God through what it contains. And here's where it all comes back together. Our imagination is a tool. For many of us, it's one that needs to have the rust knocked off because we haven't used it much lately. But we can add intentional imagination into our spiritual discipline toolbox because this is the tool that may grant us access to the glory declared in creation. Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. Disciple Science is a crowdfunded nonprofit that's exploring the intersection of faith and science. We're looking for a connection between knowing God and knowing creation. 
We're hard at work on more videos and podcasts and blog posts that will help you see how the study of nature can be a valuable contribution to your walk of faith. Our goal is to make all these resources completely free in hopes that they'll be used by as many people as possible. You can support production by contributing to Disciple Science via the support button on the Disciple Science website. And while you're there, make sure you explore the rest of our resources, the two books of God video that we've been discussing and the other videos and resources that are available on there. You can also help by rating and sharing our videos and podcasts and telling your friends about Disciple Science. And we would love it if you would submit your questions by email at disciplescience1 at gmail.com or by tweeting at us. You can find us also on Instagram and Facebook, but email and Twitter might be the easiest way. That's what I check most often. I want to once again thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. I'm Dale. Thanks for listening, and we'll do it again soon.